today's Mother's Day, for those of you who don't know. My, uh, my co-worker uh, told me last week, he, he woke up on Sunday and he said, well, today's Mother's Day. And uh, it's amazing how you can get mixed up sometimes. But today is Mother's Day. Um, and uh, I, I've learned a lot from my mother. I'm not going to dwell on, on my, uh, my own experiences, but one of my mom's favorite songs, uh, and to this day I cannot even hear a, a portion of that song without thinking of my mom, is uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, one of the things that we find emphasized here in chapter 5 is the faithfulness of God. The, uh, the Apostle Paul here is drawing this first epistle to a close. He's uh, emphasized, as we saw in the first verses of chapter 5, the, the soon return of Christ, uh, as well as an emphasis throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. Each chapter uh, comes to a, a close with a brief, uh, sometimes a very brief uh, mention of how Christ will imminently return. Uh, we see that in, in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, so here, writing to the Thessalonians, he's encouraging them about the return of Christ. And in light of the return of Christ, I believe this would be appropriate for us as well, there are things that we ought to keep in our minds as pertinent and important, knowing that Christ will return shortly. Uh, as, as believers, we await the return of Christ, the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to be uh, tuned in to that event uh, that we should not allow the return of Christ to, uh, to, uh, to uh, completely overtake us and say, well, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to spend time with my family, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to sit here and just, bless God, I'm just going to wait for Him to return. Uh, that should not be our attitude. We are encouraged to work. We are encouraged here as Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians to, to holiness, to righteousness. And as we, we look at the, the soon return of Jesus Christ, Paul closes this letter with a prayer for uh, sanctification for the Thessalonian church. Uh, look there in verse number 23. In the previous verses, he's given very practical things that ought to guide our Christian walk. Abstaining from all forms of evil, carefully examining the things that we hear according to God's word. And holding fast to that which is good, and I cast as a double-edged sword, rejecting that which is false. But in, in verse 23, he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a very tall prayer. <laughs> That's a tall order. Uh, I, I can only look at my own life and, and see areas in which I fail seemingly daily. Uh, there are times where I uh, examine my heart and say, you know, God, how, how could you love me? A holy, righteous God, how could you love me? I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. But the truth of the matter is that God uh, sent Jesus Christ, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we have been brought near to Christ by the blood of Christ, not because of our goodness, but because of His grace that He shed upon us. And here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he's saying, I'm, I pray that God will sanctify your body, your spirit, your soul uh, to be complete, to be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. 
If he, were to, if we, he would have stopped at verse 23, I think it would be very easy for us to get the sense that the Christian life and sanctification and uh, being holy and blameless before God could be something that we could muster of our own, uh, of our own uh, desire, of our own diligence. But he follows this up with verse 24. And verse 24 is what we're going to look at uh, specifically this afternoon. Uh, scripture says here, Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. Paul here is confirming and assuring the believers of his prayer in verse 23. The prayer for sanctification, the prayer for holiness, the, pr- the prayer for uh, the, the status of being blameless before God at his coming. He is assuring that by the very nature and being of God. He says, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. He will bring it to pass. And so I'd like to, to divide this verse up uh, into three parts. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the faithfulness of God. And I don't, I don't think we could uh, adequately start anywhere else but with God. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at the term calling. What is Paul referring to when he says, faithful is he who calls you? And then lastly, we're going to look at the promises that he gives, is that the one who is faithful, the one who has called, will bring it to pass as he said he, ha- as he, said he will. So the first thing I'd like us to really focus on this afternoon is the, the, the faithfulness of God. Uh, we often refer to the attributes of God, and in many times in referring to attributes of God, we tend to, to humanize them, so to speak. In other words, we think of God's attributes in human terms. We approach God with an understanding of an attribute that is inherently, by our very nature, flawed. We uh, sometimes can think of the faithfulness of a, of a spouse uh, and a wife to her husband or a husband to his wife. And uh, that is definitely a thing to be commended, a thing to be uh, encouraged and obviously what we are commanded to do in Scripture. But when we think of the faithfulness of God, God's faithfulness so far supersedes any understanding that we have of faithfulness. Uh, there are many writers that do not refer to the attributes of God, but instead, and I think adequately, refer to the perfections of God. In other words, God is not just faithful in human terms. God is not just faithful as we would consider our spouse to be faithful, or we would consider uh, any, any other relationship in terms of any other relationship in our lives. God is faithful, but He is perfectly faithful. There is no imperfection, there is no shortcoming, there is no uh, inadequacy in God and who He is. And so when we think of the faithfulness of God, faithfulness is more than an action, it is more than a, a pattern of, of uh, actions. It is more than his temporary status. It is his eternal being that is faithful. Uh, we can look at this uh, starting uh, through the very beginning uh, of Revelation in Genesis, but why don't we look at a few passages, passages of Scripture uh, this afternoon that can help us to, uh, to understand this faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9 There's a lot of scripture uh, this afternoon, so if you'd like to turn there, uh, you're more than welcome, of course, to do so. But if not, just uh, jot down the scripture reference and maybe uh, review it when you 
our home and have a little bit more time. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 9 Uh, The Bible says, For you, speaking to Israel, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments." Notice he says, God did not choose you because you were this desirable group of people to have or to be around. He didn't choose you because you were the most numerous. He didn't choose you because you were the strongest. He didn't choose you because you were the wisest. He chose you because he had made a promise and he would not break that promise. He is faithful. He is the faithful God. In the Old Testament, we we see other passages where it says, Let not the the rich man glory in his riches, or let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. That is totally opposite to the human experience. We think, oh yeah, he's rich, he should flaunt it. He should enjoy it. Man, that person has a lot of wisdom, man, they, they ought to advertise that, you know? That's something to be proud of. But he says, let him that glory, glory in that he understands and knows me. God chose his people not because of anything good in them, and likewise, this could be said of us as well. God did not choose us because of anything inherently good in us, but because he loved us, because he had made a commitment to redeem his people. That is why we are the people of God. Psalm 36 and verse 5, Scripture says, "'Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens.'" Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Uh, I grew up in New York, and I I hope that you all will forgive me for that. Um, But one thing I noticed when we came to Texas to visit my parents, immediately, the moment we got out of the airport and looked around, there was one thing that that really stood out to me, and that was the magnitude of the skies. In New York, I was surrounded by mountains, by forests, by trees, by all these things, and you could only see a brief portion. But here in Texas, um, I started laughing when my dad told me, he said, this is, this is the, the only hill I know of in Fort Worth. And we went over, you know, it was, it was an experience, let me tell you. Um, but when we looked around, we see the magnitude of the skies. And the psalmist says, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. The faithfulness of God cannot be bottled up cannot be contained, it cannot be, I don't think, in our finite beings can be adequately uh, understood to its fullness. God is so far above us, and this so is his faithfulness as well. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, his faithfulness to all generations. There is no end to the faithfulness of God, there is no measure to the magnitude of his faithfulness. Isaiah 25 and verse 1, the Bible says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked 
wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. God is faithful. He is consistent. That is His being. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. This is a a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 89, verse 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Notice the faithfulness of God almost uh, pictured as a garment, something that surrounds the Lord. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Of course, both rhetorical questions. If God speaks, yes, he will indeed follow through. He will do it. He will make it good. And then one of my favorites when talking about the faithfulness of God is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. And if you could all turn there, that would be, uh, I think it would be important for all of us to see this from Scripture this afternoon. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. The, the thing that we need to understand as, as human beings is that for God to be unfaithful, you know, we, we think, and I'll pause there for just a second, we think of faithfulness in human terms. By God's grace, a husband is faithful to his wife. By God's grace, a wife is faithful to her husband. Uh, and each spouse to the family unit. We could look at all of that. But it is only by God's grace. And I, I, I can... I'm sure you understand the same as I do that, that my standing before God, my sanctification before God is only, can only be attributed to the measure of His grace that He bestows upon me. By nature, I'm a sinner. By nature, I seek out sin. I don't fall into sin. We don't fall into sin, folks. We, we have that nature, that, that desire for sin in our members. But faithfulness when it comes to God... It is impossible for God to be unfaithful. It is possible for a spouse to be unfaithful or for us to be unfaithful in many relationships. But when it comes to God, this is something that he absolutely cannot do. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And why is that? For he cannot deny himself. For God to be unfaithful would be for God to deny the very being of who He is. It is impossible for God to be unfaithful. So we see that that faithfulness is not just an aspect of God's being, it is His nature. It is the perfection that He manifests. So how is this faithfulness shown? Well, we could, look, uh, we could look for the rest of the day, honestly, through examples in history of how God has been faithful. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 8 and verse 22. Genesis 8 and verse 22. Uh, one thing that's, that you can bank on in Texas is that the summers will be hot, right? And that's only because of God's faithfulness. 
You say, what do you mean? Genesis 8.22, the Bible says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. What is this? You say, oh, you're, you know, you're grasping at straws now. This is a promise of God. We can, we can count uh, the hours in the day. We can have our schedules and we can, uh, we can tell our time by the position of the sun. We can bank on all of those things because God is a faithful God. If God were not a faithful God, we would not have the seasons that we do. We would not have the time frames that we do. We would not have day and night. We would not have any of this because he and he alone is the one who causes it to be. He has established this world, our universe, our galaxy, to operate in the way that he has chosen. And he sustains it. He keeps it. We'll see that in just a bit. So Genesis 8.22, God's faithfulness can be seen manifest in nature, the course of nature, summer, winter. Um, the winter part could be challenged a little bit here in Texas, but, you know, there is that, that slight, ever so slight sometimes variation because of God's faithfulness. Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 1 through 4, one of the other things that we see that uh, is, is very astounding is that God doing what is against nature, what is from man's perspective impossible, from, from man's perspective there is no way that this is ever going to happen, but from God's perspective it's something that he is going to accomplish regardless of whether we believe it or not. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 4 uh, God here is, is speaking with Abram, and he says, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram repl- replies and says, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He's like, I don't even have an heir. I don't even have a son. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, the one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. This, of course, is one of the promises of uh, the promised seed, Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah. But that wasn't exactly sufficient. Genesis chapter 17. Verse number 15 through 18, God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come of her. Then Abram fell upon his face, and he laughed. He laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? You can see the the mocking in his voice. God, really? This is really going to happen? You're sure about that? A man who's 100 years old is going to have a son. And my wife, Sarah, who's 90 years old, she's going to bear a child? And notice his doubt of what God is saying to him is furthered by his very next statement. He says to God... Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He says, uh, I, I have Ishmael. Oh, that he might live before you. And God reiterates his promise. No, 
I will give Sarah a son. Impossible, he said. Impossible, we would say. Genesis chapter 18, the very next next chapter, God appeared to Abraham in the, the plain of Mamre. He came and he dined with Abraham. Abraham uh, had a, a food brought and, and slain and prepared for them. And in Genesis 18 and verse number 10, here the Lord speaks again to him. He says, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now we see Sarah is the one who hears. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. The verses go on to say, now Sarah was old and well stricken in age, and it, uh, as the King James says, it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. I'm sorry, I, I memorized everything in the King James. Uh, she wasn't of the age where she could bear children anymore. And the Bible says she laughed within herself and kind of mirrored the words that Abraham had previously said to God. I don't think this is going to happen. But folks, when, when we see the statement of God, when God has determined that he will bring something to pass, it is not based upon our measure of faith and what he has said he is going to do. He will bring it to pass. He is faithful. And we could look on a, a, a few chapters later and see, indeed, that the promise of God to Abraham and Sarah was fulfilled. And Sarah did just as God said she would. She bore a son, Isaac. So God is faithful. We see the faithfulness all throughout Scripture. We could look, uh, time would fail us, honestly, to look at all of the instances of the faithfulness of God. We look at the, the promises of the Messiah, uh, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. We know that that had come to pass. We can look at all of the prophecies pertaining to the Messiah uh, from, the, from the place of his birth to the time of his birth to uh, the lowliness and uh, the prophecies in Isaiah chapter 53 of the, the suffering Savior. All of those we could look at and see the faithfulness of God fulfilled, manifested before our very eyes. The last passage we're going to look at is uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul here is writing to the church at Colossae about, a, about the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And he says in, in verse 15, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been, been created through him and for him. And notice this, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. They consist, they have their being by the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we could not uh, count on the, the, there, there's an, op, there's a, a, an ideology today in which science is posited up against uh, religion. And, well, you know, you believe in religion and I believe in science. Uh, but we can count on the facts of science because our God is a faithful God. 
from the laws of gravity to the laws of thermodynamics to the laws of motion and all of those things, those things are consistent because God is consistent. Folks, we, we can look all around us and see God's faithfulness manifested. Jesus said that he, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain upon the just and on the unjust. He is faithful. He is faithful. Not just in action. That is who he is. We see the faithfulness is his nature. The second thing we're going to look at is and found in verse number 24. Faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Now, uh, we, I grew up in a, a non-reformed church, and uh, a lot of times the, the, the word calling, the, the word calling and the idea of calling and the secular notion is a very nebulous thing sometimes. Uh, I, I, was, I, I had a lot of friends in college who who said, well, you know, God, is, he's called me to be a pastor, and they couldn't really adequately define what they meant by that. It was almost some mystical-type experience that they had where they were almost struck by lightning or, or something along those lines, and that just, that was it. But, but before we look at what the calling is, I think it's important to recognize what the calling specifically, as Paul refers to it here, is not. Uh, we think of the calling in secular terms as a, an urging or a some, uh, somehow an innate inclination to a certain job or action or profession, or uh, we, we think of, of uh, different professions that are referred to as callings. Um, I have people tell me all the time, you know, oh, you're a nurse? Wow, man, that, that's a calling, let me tell you. That's not just a job, that's a calling. And I'm like, what do, what do you mean by that, you know? Um, but that's not exactly what Paul's referring to. In fact, that's not what Paul's referring to at all. We can see the providence of God and God's calling evidenced in our life, yes, in many of our professions and vocations and the the things that we are involved with. Yes, God does give us desires and inclinations and talents towards specific things. I'm not not, uh, denying any of that, but as Paul uses the word calling, uh, as we know, it is a very specific word. Here, the word calling here is referring to the action of God in the saving of his people. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Uh, this, the, the, underword, uh, the, the, the underlying Greek word in 1 Thessalonians is mentioned three times within Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians. Used here in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, also used in 1 Thessalonians 2, and we're going to look at all of these examples. And also 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and as well. So let's, let's look, first of all, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 12. Paul says that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. So we see the, the term uh, calling as God is the one who calls, specifically the Thessalonians, into his kingdom. Um, kind of going along with that thought, we can also see that as God calls into his kingdom, God calls out of 
uh, the world. So God is calling into his own kingdom and glory. This is a part of salvation. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here again, uh, God is calling the Thessalonians through the gospel proclamation of Paul, Timothy, and others who were with them, uh, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, and if that doesn't prove it enough, the other thing that's mentioned in both of these passages is the message that was preached. In 2 Thessalonians, he says he called you through the means of our gospel, the proclaimed word, the outward call of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says... Uh, you received the word of God which you heard of us, not as our word, but as God's word. And it is that word which effectually works in you. So we, we see the, the proclaimed word, we see the calling of God into his kingdom and glory, and a calling there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, a calling through the gospel to obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, we are partakers of his glory. We will be one day uh, glorified. Um, as Reformed people, we know that this is a part of God's order of salvation. We see election and predestination, uh, the atonement, uh, the calling. We would divide that into the outward call or the general call and then the effectual call. Uh, the outward proclamation of God's word, the gospel, is God's call, God's outward call. But the inward call is the effectual call, and that is what Paul is referring to here. That is followed by regeneration, repentance and faith, uh, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. Uh, so we see that this is a part of the way that God interacts with his people to save them. So here he says, faithful is he, faithful is the one who calls you. Faithful is the one who calls you. This teaching can also be borne out by many other passages of Scripture, uh, both by the Apostle Paul and by others. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Romans chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared for glory, even us whom he also called. Not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. There we see the calling again. Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, we see the golden chain of redemption. And smack dab in the middle is those whom he for new, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is how God saves us, and this is a wonderful thing to see. Aren't you glad this afternoon that salvation is not dependent upon our, the, the, the earnestness of our desire or by the, the goodness of our nature? 
Um, if it were dependent upon the goodness of our nature, none of us would be saved. It is dependent upon God and his eternal decree, his grace and his mercy that he has showered so bountifully on us as believers. So we see that this is borne out in, in many other passages. I, time would fail me, I could go on and on and on. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and um, other passages as well. Also, we, we see the, the word calling used in 1 Thessalonians in, in a respect that's not exactly pointing to our salvation uh, and the inward effectual call of God unto salvation. We see it used in somewhat of a different way. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll look at the other ways it's used in, in this passage. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7, the Bible says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Here, this is not specifically referring, and in a sense, it is specifically referring to God's inward call, an effectual call, but he's showing us what we are called unto. We are called unto sanctification and holiness. We are called unto uh, the, the fleeing and the rejection of our impure lusts and desires that war in us. We are called unto holiness and sanctification in Christ. Secondly, uh, the second place we see this also mentioned in a, in a way that's uh, uh, referring to sanctification and not only the inward effectual call is 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, the verse we looked at previously. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your a whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very next words are, faithful is he that calls you. Referring back to the, the, the fact, the state of sanctification and holiness that each believer should earnestly seek for. And it, it is that that God gives to us by his grace. So referring also to sanctification... So we see the holiness of God is not just an action, it's part of his nature, part of his being. And we see also that God is the one who calls us to himself. It is not our seeking God. It is not, the Bible tells us that there is none that seeks God. In Romans chapter 3, there is none that understandeth. They are all gone out of the way. And it's by his grace that he calls us to himself. We also see the work of sanctification and Lastly, I think in, in a sense, most importantly, let's look at the latter part of that verse. We've seen his faithfulness, we've seen his calling, but lastly, let us see the promise that is given to us in this passage. Faithful is he who calls you. And notice the last part. He also will bring it to pass. He also will bring it to pass. Paul is confident. Paul is assured of the sanctification of God's people there at Thessalonica, not because of his work among them, not because of their eagerness in turning to Christ and to the forsaking of their idols in in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, not because of that. He is assured of their sanctification because the one who has called us to salvation is the one who calls us to sanctification, and he is the one who will perform that work in us. 
There is a warning to be had here as well, though. One could see this verse and say, well, if God calls me to sanctification and he's the one that's going to do it, then it's all on you. It's not on me. I don't have to, to be careful with my, uh, my thought life, with my actions, and I can do whatever I please. Because when God wants me to be sanctified, there it's going to be done, and I'll be sanctified. That attitude and spirit flies in the face of the teaching in Scripture. God exhorts us to flee youthful lusts. God exhorts us to uh, abstain from all forms of evil, even in this very context. Flee from those things. Seek holiness. Seek godliness. Seek Him. And so the promise that we have here is, yes, God will do a work in us. But we also must be diligent to seek Him, to honor Him, and to glorify Him with our lives, with everything, with every part of our being. The last thing we find here in this passage is uh, the closing. What a great place to stop. He says, you've, you've, uh, this, whole, this whole letter was written to them to exhort them, to encourage them, to commend them. And he says, the one that has called you, he will do it. He will bring it to fruition. There is one parallel passage that I think could speak well to the, the work of God here. is Philippians chapter 1, in verse number 6. Here, Paul's confidence is on full display. He says in Philippians 1, 6, I am confident of this very thing. Paul, what is this thing that you are so confident about? What is this thing that you are so assured of? Writing to the Philippians is the same as writing to the Thessalonians. He says, I am assured, confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to finish the work in us that he started. What a wonderful promise and assurance that we have from Scripture. The God that has called us out of this darkness, the darkness that we were a part of, the God that has called us out of this world to be a a people for His possession, a holy nation, He will perform this work. We see the beginning of the work, and we also see the completion of the work in in, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, until the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, one day, Jesus Christ will return. That is a sure, a sure thing. That is our hope. Not our, not our uh, hope like we think of hope sometimes. That is our assurance. He will return. He will come as our Savior and as the judge of all men. So how can we apply this to our lives? The first thing that we need to realize is that the Christian life is not solely dependent upon the extent of your efforts. Some people think, you know, we live in a very individualistic society in the U.S. Uh, And the idea is um, pretty much across the board. Man, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just do it. Get it done. Whatever you want to do, just go and do it. Just tackle it. You know, if you want to start a business, yeah, just go do it. You can do it. 
But when it comes to the Christian life, we understand that without Christ, we cannot do it. Without the, in, the indwelling Spirit of God empowering us and enabling us to honor Him and to live the Christian life and to flee sin, it's God's work in us. So yes, we must put forth an effort, but we must recognize that when we see signs of sanctification or increasing sanctification in our lives, we can't look within and say, wow, man, aren't I the ideal Christian here? We can't do that. All of the glory goes to God alone. It's His work in us. It is the work of God in the life of believers. The second thing that should lead us to is a, a humble thankfulness to God. We are obligated to recognize the keeping power of God in our lives and give thanks to Him. He is the one who will keep us. He is the one who will sustain us. It's not in me. When a, one of the most interesting things you see in the life of Joseph, this is a total rabbit trail, I apologize in advance. Joseph, when he was imprisoned, falsely imprisoned uh, there in Egypt, we all, I think we would all be vaguely familiar with the story. Here as a, a prisoner, he be, quickly became one of the keepers of the prison. Um, and he was encountered with two dreams, one from the, a butler, one from a baker of, of the pharaoh, and he correctly interpreted those dreams. And uh, one was restored just as he had said, one was killed also as he had said he would be. And uh, of course, when the butler got back to the, to the uh, palace where he served the pharaoh, um, I'm not sure if he never intended to tell him in the first place or um, just said, uh, oh, I forgot, you know. Uh, he didn't tell him about Joseph. But one day when the pharaoh had a dream that could not be interpreted, uh, he says, oh, by the way, this reminds me, I had a dream that was interpreted once, and his name is Joseph. And so, of course, Joseph is called, and he comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, interpret the dream, here's the dream, and uh, or he says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And, and what does Joseph say to him, his very first words? It is not in me. God shall. And that's what we need to remember when it comes to living the Christian life. It is not in me. It is not in you. God will empower us to do that. The third thing that we can see is the same God that saved us and changed us will continue to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That is a sure thing. And the last, the last thing that, that we can recognize from this is that uh, we need to trust God to do what he said he would do. You see this promise given to the Thessalonians, but also given for our benefit. And we can look at that and we can, well, is that really mine? Is that promise really to me? Folks, the promise of the keeping, preserving power of God is for all of God's people, for all believers. And we need to trust God that he will do what he said he would do. Don't be like Abraham. Don't be like Sarah who sat and said, it's not happening, man. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. Well, with men, all things, some things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Lastly, you know, when we think about the calling of God, it is true that God has given us, in His providence, uh, callings, vocations, professions, like uh, Dennis was teaching in Sunday school. It was very helpful. 
God has given us those inclinations and those things. And in those areas of our life, we must also trust Him. And say, God, by your grace, I'm going to be the father that I need to be. I'm going to be the husband that I need to be. For you ladies, I won't say this for myself, I'm going to be the the wife and the mother, the spouse that I need to be. For your honor and for your glory. So that men might not look at me, but they might look at my marvelous Savior. So I would encourage you and exhort you, trust the one who has called you. Faithful is he that calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and Lord, we humbly bow at your feet. God, we are, we are nothing. We are no one that should be cherished, that should be admired, that should be lifted up, that should be exalted. But we serve a powerful and a wonderful God. Lord, it is because of your work in us that we are what we are. Lord, without you, we would be lost in our sin. We would be dead spiritually. We'd be seeking our own good, seeking our benefit, walking according to the course of this world. But God, you have called us to something greater. Lord, you have called us out of the darkness into light. You have called us to holiness. And God, I pray that we would submit ourselves to thee. Lord, that we would relinquish any claim to the details or the intricacies of our life, that we would submit wholly to your word and to your word alone. God, we thank you for your promise that the work that you have begun, you will continue to perform until the day of Jesus Christ. And God, we not only have heard that word today, but Lord, we are trusting that you will do what you said you will do. Thank you for your word today. I pray that we would be changed by it this week as we live our Christian lives by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.